Hey guys, Pastor Bear here. Welcome to the podcast for Real Church. We meet every Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sherpsburg. You can also check us out online at www.realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. I hope you enjoy this week's message. I'm Elijah, and this is my story. For me, um, I I was raised by a single mom uh, who was raising four kids, uh, who uh, was working three jobs uh, to try to put food on the table and do those types of things. So we literally lived in uh, government housing, lived in the projects. and uh, so for us, it was, you know, survival of the fittest. Um, so it was, uh, it was pretty rough growing up. We didn't, uh, you know, we got through day by day. Um, but, uh, you know, understanding who our family was and that surrounding was, was really important. Family became everything to us. Um, you know, we didn't get a chance to go to church very much. And we did. It was really two, two ways. Um, our grandmother uh, was really the matriarch of the family. So she would go around to all of the grandkids and pick us up on weekends, take us to church. Um, so we got a chance to go church, go to church with her when we could. And then there was also um, uh, an interesting little uh, youth pastor who had, drove a church van who would drive through our neighborhood um, and, and invite us to church. Um, and so we would get on the church van and be able to go to church every once in a while that way. Uh, that was until I was about 12 years old. Uh, and about 12 years old, my grandparents retired. Uh, and when they did and moved back to Georgia, um, I packed up my stuff and kind of jumped in the truck and jumped in the van with them and, and said, you know what, I, I, there's, there's more, there's more, you know, for me than this. Uh, I know there is. Um, and, uh, honestly, grades weren't, weren't great. Um, you know, school was, was rough. Every day was, was pretty rough and I decided to, to go to Georgia instead. And so, Whenever that happened, it really became the farm life. It was really a huge switch. You take the city boy out of the projects and, you know, walking, you know, four miles to school in the concrete. And you now put him on a, on a dusty dirt road where he gets off the school bus now and he's, you know, out in the garden uh, or out uh, with the animals and that kind of stuff in the afternoon and then doing homework and then going to bed early. Um, so it was a, really a difference. Uh, it was a saving grace for me because that same grandmother's who I ended up moving in with. And so understanding, you know, you're going to be at church three times a week. You're going to be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. And it wasn't an option. There was no question of whether or not you're going to church or where it was a matter of just going to church and being there. So high school is interesting. Um, it was a very small school. We had about 400 total in the school, graduate class of about 100, I think 101. And so everybody was very, very tight group. Um, it was my first experience, because I mean, I was when I moved there, it was in middle school, but even going into high school, it was very much the, the Bible belt, if you will. There were certain ways people talked and, you know, were, uh, how they approached life, etc. For me, uh, I struggled, um, not with grades. My grades got better. I understood the, the farm life, the country life. I seemed to fit that a lot better. But I really started to struggle uh, with what was real, um, with Jesus, with God. I mean, I, I believed in God. Uh, I, I knew who he was. Uh, at least I thought I did. But I really started to, to, to get frustrated and question the typical Southern Baptist 
church, if you will. And I mean, I had um, my aha moment, okay? My, um, for lack of a better way to put it, my etch-a-sketch moment where you kind of clear the sand off and those types of things wasn't at Oak Grove Baptist Church. It was at Elizabeth Baptist Church, which is only about three miles down the road. So me getting baptized and coming to Christ in a different church than the family church was interesting. It was, uh, it, it was something that was really hard to have that conversation with her. Um, but I think at the same time, very shortly after that, she saw a change in me that she really understood where I was. And that's, a, that's what she, it's the only thing she'd ever wanted for me. So every time I think that I've got it figured out, I realize the problem is I'm trying to figure it out instead of just um, holding on for the ride, instead of understanding where his will is. It, instead of trying to figure out where he wants me to be, I'm generally, uh, especially as a younger adult, trying to force my will on what I think he wants me to go or where I think he wants me to be. And uh, what I found is time and time and time again, doors get slammed in my face. And when they door hit you in the nose, generally it's because of the fact that you're trying to force your will versus his will. Um, one of the times I think, I think was probably the biggest moment for me was um, we, I actually lived in, uh, uh, lived in Kentucky and had been, we'd been robbed. Uh, it, was, it was one of those, you know, you feel stripped and naked at that point because you've gone through this thing. And I remember being so angry. I was so furious um, with, with God. And uh, I went into my office. I slammed the door and um, I just turned off the lights. I just felt like I needed to turn off the lights. And I literally um, w was stewing in my own anger, in my own juices, if you will. And um, as... As interesting as I've always heard people say, well, they've heard from God. I had never heard audible voice. I swear to this day that it was an audible thing for me was, why are you angry? You haven't even been in my, in my house in, in over a year. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I had not been in church for a year. I had been working so hard doing other things and trying to do what I thought was right and trying to fix this for other people and trying to do all these things and trying to do what I thought was the right thing that it literally had not occurred to me that I had not been in his house. We had moved to Kentucky and had not found a home in Kentucky. And when that happened, we literally, Rachel and I, that day, I mean, I got on my hands and knees in my office that day and uh, wept. That's the first time I think I've wept that way. And uh, got up, uh, went to dinner, and literally gave our business away, signed it away the next day and said, you know, this is just wrong. We need to go back to Tennessee and go back to our roots and, and make sure we're getting on the right track. And so for me, that was huge. And ever since then, there's times I get off the track. <laughs> I think we all get off the track. But it, it, it's a lot shorter uh, recognition for me to say, hold, hold, pump the brakes, stop, let me back up and make sure I'm in his will and not just trying to force my own. So I'm Elijah, and that's my story. Elijah Slay, you guys let him have it. Let him hear it. It's awesome, Elijah. It's awesome.
uh, one of my favorite um, one of my favorite television shows. Um, one of my favorite television shows. I, I, I'm kind of weird. Um, I know you guys already knew that, but <clears throat> I'm kind of weird in that. One of my favorite TV shows. I love Dateline NBC. Am I the only one that loves Dateline NBC? I know Bonnie loves Dateline NBC. Uh, Bonnie and I have agreed that if ESPN, ABC, NBC, if all of those go away, but if the ID network goes away, I'm out, okay? I love watching these murder mysteries. Now, let me tell you something. 90% of the time, it's the spouse that did it. But every once in a while, there's a twist. Every once in a while, it's like that crazy neighbor you know what I mean? Or the, or the drifter that was going through. And so I love those shows. I love those shows. My wife and kids hate those shows. Um, they don't like them. They will watch them with me only because they love me. But literally, it's gotten to the point where I'm like, hey, you guys want to watch some TV? I want to, I'm going to watch a Dateline. And they're like... And Blake's like, Dad, you know the, the, the husband did it. He always does it, Dad. It's the husband or the boyfriend or whoever needed the money. That's what it is, Dad. It's been for 29 seasons, that's what it's been doing. I love that. And one of the reasons I love it is I love on Dateline where they get into the scientific evidence. You know what I mean? The scientific evidence. And it's amazing. Let me, if you commit a crime like that today, you're a fool. Because they're going to catch you. You are going to be gotten. But here's the basic level. The basic level of those shows is this. The first thing, one of the first things they do on the show is this. We need to dust the house for fingerprints. Let's dust the car for fingerprints. Who has been here is what... They're trying to figure out. See, that's what fingerprints do. When, when you've been somewhere and you've touched something, I just touched this table. If Rodney came over, who's a policeman here, Rodney comes over and he dusts this for fingerprints, my fingerprints are going to be right there. Why is that? The reason that is, is that I have been there. And on those Dateline NBC shows, what they do is they're like, hey, listen, have you ever been in this person's house? And the idiot always goes, no. So there would be no reason for your fingerprints to be in their house. No. What about this? And then they show the fingerprints. And they're like, you were there. You were there because your fingerprints are there, and it's on this and this and this and this. I love those shows. I love the surprise of those shows. But the first thing they do is they look for fingerprints. Today's message I want you to look for fingerprints. That's what I want you to do. I want you to become a detective and I want you to look for fingerprints. One of the reasons why I ask Elijah to do this is because Elijah's story shows constantly from the time he was little all the way up until right now today, the fingerprints of God. You can see the fingerprints of God in his story. You can see the fingerprints of God even when he was a small child. And I want you to hear this. 
even when, even when he was a small child and did not know God and who God was and did not know Jesus as his Savior. You can see the fingerprints of God all over his life. My life is similar to his. Um, I did not come to Georgia. I, when I was in eighth grade, my dad got a different job, and I, was, I, w- I actually moved to a foreign country called Ohio. All right? They didn't talk right. They talked a totally different language than I did. They didn't say y'all. They didn't eat cornbread. None of that stuff. They called them, I think they called them hotcakes. What kind of communist calls a piece of cornbread a hotcake? And they, listen, and they, they would make it like a pancake. Man, everybody knows cornbread is supposed to be in the cast iron skillet. Put it in the oven, come out, burn your mouth because it's too hot, but you want to eat it anyway because you have to get the good food going there. That's what they, they would do that. I got sent to the office one day when I was in high school for telling someone, hey, we need some more ice. They thought I said I needed something else. And I was like, I didn't say that. No, you go see Mr. Tice. I was like, I don't need to see Mr. Tice. I just need some more ice here. You quit saying that dirty word. I'm telling you, they talked a different language. But the amazing thing is, and I've shared this with you before, that move was one of the fingerprints of God because that move took me out of this little bitty tiny small town where people, when they got into high school, started doing crazy stuff and doing stuff that they didn't need to be doing because there was nothing else to do in the town. Are you with me? A little small town, there's nothing to do. And so they started meeting out in fields and hanging out and smoking a little weed and drinking and, and doing all kinds of stuff that you, that you didn't need to be doing. And guess where I was? I was 10 miles out in a foreign country on a hill by myself with my mom and my dad. And I always wondered why that happened. Yet looking back, looking back, I can see the fingerprints of God. The scripture talks exclusively about how much God loves us. Uh, this won't be up on the screen, but in uh, Isaiah 58, 11, it says this. It says, the Lord will guide you continually. Okay, it is up there. Thank you, Lynn. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. The Lord will guide you continually. The Lord will guide you continually. You guys know this verse in Jeremiah 1, chapter 5. Jeremiah 1, chapter 5 says this. He says, listen, I knew you before you were ever even formed in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Before you were born, before you were ever even born, I knew you. I will continually guide you. And before you were born, I knew you. So we know that God is looking upon us. We know that God is in our life. One of the verses that we're talking about in this whole series of This Is My Story is Hebrews chapter 12. And it says that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. The author, as I've said every week, the author is the one that originates. The perfecter is the one that shows us the example, the one that concludes, the one that shows us exactly how to do it. And that's exactly who Jesus, 
who Jesus was. So what are the fingerprints of God? What do the fingerprints of God do for us? What do they do for us? I want you to find the fingerprints of God in your own life. Today, I want you to, when you go to lunch, I want you to start thinking about, maybe if you're with your spouse, I want you to talk about, hey, where are the fingerprints of God in our lives? Where are they at? Let me tell you what the fingerprints of God do. Here's what they do. The first thing is they remind us that God loves us and he was wanting to write our story. The first thing that the fingerprints of God does is it, it reminds us that God loves us and he wants to write our story. God loves us enough to write our story. He's the author and he's a perfecter. The fingerprints of God remind us of that. Listen, I went to Disney over spring break, all right? I went to Disney over spring break. And I saw this a thousand times. And when I saw it, I remembered back, I remembered back to where when I was, when I, we had Blake when he was really little, all right? Now, there were these parents, by the way, if you go to Disney with your kids before they're, say, five or six, you have a death wish, all right? Because it's so funny. It's like the happiest place on earth. And I'm like, bull poo it is because all these parents look like they're tired, mad, and frustrated, all right? And you're ready for a stiff drink. That's what they look like, every one of them. Every one of them looked that way. Now, the older parents are walking around, and they're, hey, how's it going? Oh, my gosh, the lights, the magical. Uh-uh. The people who have the little bitty kids, they're like going... Get back here. They're all screaming and yelling at each other. The dad looks mad at the wife. And you guys, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. So listen. So, so, but one thing happens all the time at Disney. The kids will be running all around everywhere and they'll be running certain away and they will grab them and they'll pull them back or they will grab them away and they will pull them back. They will take their hand and they will put their hands on them and they will pull them back to where they're supposed to be. Can I tell you something? That's exactly what God does for us. I want you to hear that. He loves us enough to pull us back whenever we're going the wrong direction. He loves us enough to pull us back. Can I tell you something? You don't, listen, you do not guide people and pour into people that you don't love. I want you to hear that. Love is a motivator. It's a motivator. Love motivates us to do things that we usually wouldn't do. And those people have the handprints of God. You and I have the handprints of God. If we looked at the handprints on those children, we would see the fingerprints of the parents all over them. All right? On the arms and on the shoulder, we would see that because they're pulling them back. And everyone here who has kids, you have done the same thing to your kid. You've done the same thing to your kid. You do crazy things. For love. Listen, I used to drive eight hours one way to see Wendy for 72 hours every other week. Every other week. I used to work crazy shifts and I would drive eight hours to see Wendy just for 72 hours and then come back. I would do that. Why? Because you do crazy things when you love someone. And God does the same thing for us. The fingerprints of God reminds us that he loves us and he wants to write our story. Here's the second thing. The fingerprints of God sometimes come in the form of actual fingerprints. The fingerprints of God sometimes come in the actual form of actual fingerprints. For Elisha, it was his grandmother. Think about that. I, and one of the things that struck me about Elijah's story is, and he's told this to me several times, but one of the things that always strikes me is, is that at 12 years old, he had the knowledge that, you know what, this 
situation is not good for me. I need to make a change. At 12, what were you doing at 12? I was eating Doritos and playing with G.I. Joe and playing soft, you know, baseball outside and not have a care in the world. But at 12 years old, he knew. And who was there for him? One of the fingerprints of God, his grandmother. Last week we heard Gil Loggins' story. Who was there for Gil? The fingerprints of God, both sets of his grandparents. The fingerprints of God for me are some godly men that decided, you know, I want to pour into this kid who knows nothing about Jesus and I just want to love on him and tell him who Christ is. Who are the fingerprints of God for you? Who are they? Who are they? Sometimes, sometimes the fingerprints of God come actually in a set of fingerprints. Last week at small group, one of our small group members, we were talking about people that have had impact on their lives. And our small group, one of our small group, uh, people in our small group said this. They said, listen. And they began to cry and they said, everyone in this room, you guys are the one that's had the impact. You guys are the one. Man, if you guys aren't small group, you're missing it. You guys are the one. Who are your fingerprints of God? Sometimes they're actual people. Sometimes they're actual people. The next thing the fingerprints of God does is this. And I love, 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 love this. It reminds us that we are not in charge. It reminds us that we are not in charge. Sometimes not being in charge, you guys, is a really, really good thing. Are you with me? Sometimes not being in charge is a really good thing. I used to think that I always wanted to be in charge. I used to think that the best place